Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, your host, and today our text is Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Studying this section of scripture with me this afternoon is my friend and another one of my classmates, Epifanio Carranza. Epifanio, why don't you tell us a little something about yourself? All right. Well, as Josh said, uh, we were classmates at the Memphis School of Preaching. Um, I am the preacher, uh, full-time preacher at the Atlanta Church of Christ here in Atlanta, Texas. I am married to my beautiful wife, Karen, and we have three boys, Nikolai, Kalel, and Leo. And so uh, that's pretty much of an introduction for me, man. Epifanio's a good friend of mine, and uh, I respect where he's at now versus where he's been. I think it's a great story. We don't have time to get into it, but uh, probably one of the most sincere people I know. So uh, happy to have you on. Thanks again for doing this. Uh, we're getting into Job. Uh, we're going to start off at the beginning of Job, and there's not really much as far as context goes because we are kind of going to, I guess, for lack of a better term, lay the context of the book. Uh, because I do think the first five verses of that uh, of this book really kind of set the foundation for it. But as just a brief introduction to Job, uh, there are a few things that uh, I want to point out. First off, I don't think anyone who has ever suffered is unfamiliar with Job. Uh, I think it's one of those books that when... Uh, we start to face the trials and the hardships of life. Job is one of those books that many people turn to. There are three lessons or realizations that are learned uh, in Job. First off, we first and foremost, God's glory uh, is is realized and explained. Second, we see man's suffering, as I mentioned earlier. And then third, I think we have the coming of Jesus. In chapter 9, verse 33, and then in chapter 33, uh, Job calls for a mediator, and in 1 Timothy 2.5, we learn that Jesus is our mediator. Job looks for a redeemer, and we find that Jesus is our redeemer. And then we, we can compare, and I think there's some typical relationship between the suffering of Job and the suffering of Jesus. Job was a great person, but he wasn't perfect. Jesus was perfect, uh, yet both of them suffered. And I think that's interesting to keep in mind, particularly when we suffer, because none of us are perfect. And I would dare say none of us, I don't know what the word is, compare uh, in this or, or sit in the same category with Job. So if Job suffered, and more importantly, if Jesus suffered, then why would we feel that we should be immune to suffering? I guess it's something we should keep in mind as we study the book. Job's suffering, though, brings us the answers that he sought, and I think that's important. I think Job's suffering was compounded by the fact that he didn't know what was going on. You and I suffer today, and if we have any type of understanding of Job, we have a realization that the answers that Job sought, we have uh, as we suffer. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we forget uh, those things, but most importantly, the source of suffering being Satan and not God. 
we were soldiers on a battlefield, and I think I think we learned this in class. Uh, we are soldiers on a battlefield, but sometimes we are the battlefield, and Job points that out. So that's that's Job as far as an introduction goes. Let's read the first five verses, and we'll start marking it up and talking about it. Excuse me. There's a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold feasts in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And then the days of the feast had run their course. Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early from the morning and burnt, uh, and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. What do you have, Epiphanio? I just want to point out first and foremost that uh, verse 1 is said after all the events that take place uh, uh, in the book. And so this is God speaking uh about Job after all the things that took place that we can read about in the book. Uh, also, uh, I like. I want to pick up on on the four uh, characteristics, I guess, that God says about Job. Okay. He says that Job Job is perfect, which is the Hebrew word "tham," but it means blameless. So, and it carries the idea of uh, well-behaved. And so I have that, I have like a box around perfect and uh, and I put a well-behaved, blameless, and then upright. Uh, and that carries the idea of uh, proper or one who walks straight. Uh, and then of course, uh, fear God. He feared God. He's one who feared God. And, you know, we know from Solomon, you know, Proverbs chapter one and verse seven, uh, says the fear of the Lord is the, is the beginning of knowledge. And so, I mean, you can see with that, that Job was very uh, knowledgeable. Uh, he was a wise man. And then to shoot evil is the idea he shunned evil. You know, he turned away from it. And so, uh, interestingly, we will pick up on these these uh, four characteristics once more in verse 8 of the same chapter. That's good. Um, I think... When you kind of look at the setup of the book, I like the way the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to write this. Uh, because these first five verses, and I've just kind of bracketed the first five verses and just put the note that this is the foundation of the book. Uh, you, you're going to read as you go throughout the book of Job and you're going to see his friends. Uh, and I use that term very loosely. Uh, in that sense, but uh, you're going to see his friends start to accuse him of all types of terrible things. Uh, his character is going to come under attack. His reputation is going to come under attack, all of it being unwarranted. And I think God by intentionally started with these first five verses so that as we read everything that comes upon Job, we still know that God endorsed him as a blameless and upright man who feared God. And turned away from evil. It also exemplifies the fact that Job didn't do anything to bring about the suffering upon himself. 
uh, especially in a time when people believe that if you suffer is because you did something wrong. Uh, we're learning the exact opposite of this here. And, and the Holy Spirit, you know, establishes that at the very beginning. I circled the word us in verse one and just made the note that he wasn't an Israelite, uh, which would explain uh, some of the thought processes uh, in their conversation. I also explained kind of his religious practices uh, and so forth. And another thing we want to point out is Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible from a chronological standpoint. Um, I think if I read, remember my commentary correctly, many put Job living and the occurrence of these uh these events being around the time of Abraham, uh, which would have been long before uh, Moses ever writ uh, or wrote uh, the first five books of the Old Testament or the Pentateuch. So uh, just kind of gives us a setting. I also find it interesting that when you look at blameless and upright, blameless, uh, someone mentioned, was a character trait, and upright was that character uh, being shown. Uh, and so in other words, uh, blameless is the character of Job, but upright shows that his actions show the type of person uh, that he was. And then like <clears throat> Epiphanio pointed out, feared God and turned away from evil were the marks of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, like he mentioned, 1 verse 7, uh, chapter 3 and verse 7, 14 and verse 16, as well as 16 and verse 6. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, we have a man who for lack of a better term, isn't getting his due reward because uh, he is a good person, uh, yet he is still going to suffer, uh, as we're going to see in just a little bit. Uh, anything uh, you want to point out on two or three? Yeah, well, on on well, just sticking with uh, with us, I want to make a, a couple of remarks to, uh, to us. So us was uh, one of the sons of Shem, and you can see that in First Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 17. He was the he was the, uh, the the son of Shem, and then also tradition says that uh, Uz was probably somewhere east or northeast of Palestine, and so that gives us kind of a location of where Job probably would have been. But just to uh, just to add to the uh, shunned evil or shoot evil in the King James version, you know we see the same thing that the Apostle Paul would tell the Christians in Romans chapter twelve and verse nine. In Romans twelve verse nine, he says. Let love be without hypocrisy. And that's the New King James. He says, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And there's no doubt when you look at the character of Job, he did both those things. Not only is it one thing to abhor evil, it's another thing entirely separate to cling to what is good. You know, most people can uh, abhor evil and still be indifferent to life, to certain things. You know what I mean? Uh, and so that that's the idea of clinging to what is good. Um so yeah, that's that's what I would. In verse two, I want to point out something, and I don't know if you have this uh, in verse three, but like verse two, verses two and three, uh, something interesting about what uh, the writer says about his seven sons and three daughters. For one who knows anything about how the Bible deals with numbers, like uh, seven is the idea of completeness. Uh, three also is another number that deals with uh, completeness. When you look at like the Trinity, you look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three, it shows completeness. And so when you put these two together, you have 10, which also in the book of Revelation represents another idea of completeness. And so, but I want to point this out here because I underlined sons, 
uh, seven sons, and I underline three daughters, and that's my first 10, right? That's my first 10, completeness. So Job was, and to have seven sons and three daughters, or back in those days, a large family was an indication of a divine blessing. And so I have that pointed out, and you can see this like in Psalm 127, uh, verses 3 through 5, and also First uh, Samuel chapter 1 and verse 8. You can see that a large family was an, indi was an indication of divine blessing. So I have underlined seven sons, three daughters. That's the first 10. And then when you look at uh, his substance, also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. I underlined 7,000 sheep and 3,000. That's the second 10. Uh, and then if you keep reading, he says uh, he had 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys. That's the third 10. And so when you look at it, you have three sets of 10. And I think this is the Holy Spirit's way of saying Job was completely blessed. He, he didn't lack in that department. He was blessed when it came to family. He was blessed when it came to possessions. And not only so blessed, but he was completely blessed. And so I found that very interesting. Oh, that's a great point. And I, I had the same, I had the same note, uh, underlined those and just numbers of totality. Uh, he lacked nothing, which I think, you know, obviously attributes to the, the character of Job, but also shows the character of God. Uh, those who are faithful to him, God, God doesn't, uh, neglect or, uh, forget about, uh, those who serve him faithfully. Blameless and upright in verse one. I just had this note. I missed over it, but I just have Noah and Abraham, uh, the names next to them. Uh, Genesis six, nine and 17, one, uh, are the, I think if I, if I remember correctly, Job and then those two individuals are the only three in the old Testament who have been, uh, characterized as blameless and upright. And then you have Ezekiel 14, 14 and 14, 20, when God, talks about punishing Israel uh, or Judah uh, specifically, and he talks about the imminent uh, Babylonian captivity that's come upon them. And he says, even if, and he mentions three people, Daniel, Noah, and Job. And he said, even if one of those three was here to plead your case, they still would, they would save themselves, but they wouldn't be able to change my mind. And I think that's a testament to Job as far as God uh, making that type of point with the character uh, of Job. Uh, he goes on, he says, so this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. I put 1 Kings 4.30 because Solomon's wisdom is compared uh, to the East or to those of the East. And I think this was a way in the Hebrew and the Old Testament particularly to uh, just show exactly uh, his status and his prestige. But next to it, I also have uh, the phrase lightning hits the tallest tree. Uh, and that's what happened to Job. Uh, Job was uh, above all as far as character goes. And I think uh, the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of this book to make that point to show why uh, why Job had to endure. And it was his, his good character. And that's interesting. Like I said, it's the exact opposite of, of the mindset at that time, because the mindset at the time is if you were a terrible person, then you would suffer. But if you were a good person, you would prosper. And here you have an individual who is prospering on account of his uh, blamelessness and his uprightness. But at the same time, 
in the state of blamelessness and uprightness and in fearing God and turning for you, he still suffers, uh, which is a lesson that, that we all learn. So uh, as far as four and five go, uh, the only thing I really uh, have there is I just circled the word cursed in verse five. Mm-hmm. Job says it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually showing that this was a habit of his showing that he had the utmost concern uh, that even if there was a possibility of curse of his children cursing God, then he was willing to give up part of his possessions in order to uh, uh, make them right with God. And I just put one verse 11, two verse 15, or I'm sorry, two verse five and two verse nine, uh, two, one 11 and two five. Satan tells God that if you take everything away from Job, which we'll talk about here in just a moment, he will curse you. Uh, and then in uh, chapter two and verse nine, his wife advises him uh, badly to curse God and die. Uh, and so I think the Holy Spirit is, again, stressing the fact that cursing God was the furthest thing that Job did not only himself not want to curse God, but he didn't want anyone with whom he had association to curse God as well. And so I think we're setting the stage here in these first five verses uh, to go into the remainder of the book. Uh, And and as you read this, you have to read it with the understanding that Job uh, was this type of individual. If you read it with any type of doubt in his character at all, then some of the things may be justified. But through these first five verses, as you read it, you understand that nothing that he receives either at the hands of Satan, at the hands of his wife, or at the hands of his friends uh, is warranted because of his character. Yeah, yeah, and I want to make this point real quick, man. Uh, I don't know if it's, I still have some uh, Father's Day uh, leftovers in me, but uh, I, I, I think about Job, man, and, and part of his character was being perfect and upright. You know, and I think it would be a contradiction the reason why I bring this out in, in verse five, where you see Job offering the sacrifices for children, it gives us an insight into who, who he was as a father, right? You can't have an upright, blameless, perfect man, right? Or, uh, and then you say, well, he was a pretty crummy father. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it won't resonate that way. And so to see Job, I actually have this little note by verse five talking about, and I, and I put a box around, Thus did Job continually. So I, I put a box around that, and then I put a note about the father, because the father, the the Hebrew word for father is Av or Av, uh, A V, right, which means strength of the house, or one who upholds the family, and so we can see that Job was a a great father, and that's because of his uh, his blameless character. Great point, and. Uh... <clears throat> One thing we will notice is that he's caring for his, we, we read about him caring for his children spiritually. Yeah. Did he no doubt provide for them physically? Absolutely. But at the utmost priority for Job was caring for his children spiritually. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, very good point. Anything else in the first five verses? No, I think that's that's what I have in those first five. It's good stuff. Uh, the beginning of chapter six, I have, uh, as uh, Satan allowed to test Job is what I have in my Bible as a heading. Uh, next to that, I put the character of Job and God versus the character of Satan, because we're going to see uh, two very distinct uh, characteristics uh, between these 
uh, between deity, between Job, and then between uh, Satan himself. Uh, let's just read 6 through 12, and then we'll just start uh, dissecting it. Now there, were, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side that he you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land? But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. What do you got in verse 6, Epiphania? Verse 6, I have uh, quite a bit. So I have a few notes on Satan himself. Um, so, so when you look at this verse, like in the Hebrew, uh, it's it's funny because, or interesting because, the way it reads in the Hebrew is it's called the Satan, right? And we know Satan is a word uh, for adversary. So in the Hebrew, it's the adversary, right? So the adversary. Uh, and then I also have this note, uh, Satan. Uh, at, well, well, let me put my citation with that. So this Satan, I have Zechariah uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, where we can see Satan mentioned over there when, when you talk about Joshua, the high priest. Also, First uh, Chronicles twenty-one and verse one, and then First uh, Kings chapter twenty-two, verses nineteen through twenty-two. I think is is uh, pretty insightful to this because you see Satan, who's standing in the presence of God with the sons of God. Mm -hmm. And I want to read. I want to read a comment that I wrote in my Bible, and this is from uh, Kyle and Delitch from their commentary. He says Satan with the sons of God is like. Uh, Judas with the disciples. And so when, when I started thinking about that, that was pretty good. And it had me start thinking about like the wheat and the tares, right? That we can read about in Matthew 13, uh, verses 24 through 30. And then when I thought about that, I started thinking about, well, you know, we can see in the Bible where uh, God would say that hell and, and the lake of fire are reserved for the devil and his angels, right? Second Peter 2, 4, Jude 6, and Matthew 25 and verse 41. And so when you think about that, so all that I'm saying is that you have Satan with, with the sons of God. You had Judas with, with the disciples, and then you have the wheat and the tares. And so they're in the same, uh, they're, they're in the same presence, if you will, but on judgment day, they will be separated. And, uh, and so I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, and so that's what I have, uh, those notes on Satan in verse six. All I, I underlined the word also, and I just put uh, intruder question mark. Cause it seems like, 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 like you kind of alluded to Satan doesn't belong there. Uh, same way yeah. Judas didn't, you know, I mean, they were, he's there uh, in the presence of these, but, from a character standpoint, uh, you know, the Sesame Street song, one of these things is not like the other. Uh, and and that's kind of the feeling I get. And that word also, I think, alludes to the fact that 
uh, there's something different about Satan and not in a good way uh, that, that there's uh, almost that he's in a place he shouldn't be, uh, if that makes sense. Going yeah, down, and then, seven. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, and you might have this because I know you, you heard this at school as well. Uh, when God asks Satan here, is he's not God is not asking for information. Right? He's asking for confirmation. Right. And so it's not as, as God's I'm. I'm omniscient he knows everything he doesn't need satan you know as if god doesn't know uh and so i just wanted to say that before we move past that no that's a good point verse seven from where have you come uh he knew that and that, that leads into what i was uh i underlined going uh to and fro and i put second Chronicles 16 and verse nine uh satan says i've been going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro on the earth. Uh, and so underneath that, I also put Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. There's nothing that Satan is doing uh, that God is, of which God is not aware. Uh, and, and Hebrews 13, 5, uh, Hebrew writer reminds us that God will never forsake us. Uh, never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, I can boldly say that the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Uh, and I think that's confidence that we have walking to and from on it. I have first Peter five verse eight, be so revision for your adversary. The devil's a roaring, roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So we look at it from this standpoint. We see that Satan is going around looking who he can lure away from God, looking who he can tempt into a life of sin. But at the same time, you have the eyes of God moving uh, along with it. So we're not alone uh, as we go. Uh, what do you have on verse eight or seven? Uh, so I have I, I pose this question. I have the phrase, hast thou considered? I have that uh, uh, boxed around. I put a box around that. and. The idea is was so the idea is Job, God is asking Satan about Job. Have you considered why are you considering him? Or have you set your heart on Job? And so I asked this question. I just have it written in the margin of my Bible. Was Satan considering Job because he was so great? And this goes back to verse three, where he calls uh God calls Job the greatest man of all in all the East. But and then I also asked this question. Was he considering Job because he was so great or was he jealous of Job? And the reason why I ask that is because here's Job who's been completely blessed by God. Yet I think I think when we think about Job, when we look about him, there's no way Job would forsake God. And as Satan did, you know, Satan, Satan was a son of God. He's the one who forsook God. He chose. And so it, it almost knowing something about the character of Job, and something about the character of Satan. I think, man, maybe Satan was jealous of Job, you know, and that's the reason why he was considering him. No, that's great. That's good. In verse eight, I underlined a blameless you know, God's uh, uh, endorsement of Job, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. I put Job's motivation. Then I drew a line down uh, to verse eleven. Uh, where Satan says, if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse you. And I put contrast with Satan's motivation. And, and the point Satan's making is is the only reason, and it's really uh, an insult uh, when he says, does Job fear God for no reason? It's an insult primarily to God 
and secondarily to Job, because uh, he's saying uh, essentially in that statement two things. One, the only reason anyone should ever serve you is based on the things that you give unto them. Uh, in other words, yeah. you're not worthy of service and you're not worthy of praise if you were to take these physical blessings away from an individual. And number two, uh, it's a knock on Job saying that the only reason that you're faithful is because you've received all this. And uh, I, I underline that phrase, my servant Job, uh, which is uh, high praise uh, that God's claiming Job as his own. And then I underlined it or I drew an arrow from my servant Job down to the beginning of verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has? And I just put the statement, uh, God protects what is his without shame. And I think that's something we need to point out and we need to realize is that uh, Satan accuses God of putting a hedge and protecting Job. And God does not deny it, nor does God act as if he's ashamed of it. Uh, and the reason I say that is because what we don't want to uh, think is that God is trying to prove himself when he allows Satan to attack Job. Uh, he's not trying to to prove himself. He's not trying to uh, shamefully walk away from that statement. Uh, God protects his own, and, and he does so without shame. He's He's happy to do it. He wants to do it. He considers it a privilege to do it. Uh, and so if we put ourselves in God, then, uh, it's a wonderful thought to have that type of relationship with him. If we act the way Job acts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I put a, a star around verses 9, 10 and 11, and I put key verses. I think these are the key verses here in chapter one, because they're so pivotal. And I have, I have, it's funny that you say all that because I have a similar idea said uh satan uh, because in, in these verses uh verses 19 and 11 satan attacks god first and foremost like you said how does he do it by accusing job right and he accuses job of being ultimately being self-centered and insincere you know the only reason why he's serving you god is because look how well you blessed him you know and so he's self-centered self-absorbed and ultimately insecure uh and it's almost as if when you look at Job, i mean satan here uh, he has the he has the mentality of every man has a price. Every man has a price. Name your price, you know, and so uh, and he'll forsake you. Uh, that's that's uh, right. Uh, verse 11. Uh, I noticed that the word stretch and the word touch are in imperative uh, form. Mm -hmm. Almost as if uh, Satan is commanding God to do this, which I think illustrates the irreverent arrogance of Satan. Also circled the second noun pronoun or the second person pronouns, your and you. Uh, and in the Hebrew language, uh, those would have been taken as disrespectful terms. So there's no no reverence on, on behalf. There's no respect on behalf of Satan for God, uh, which, again, uh, I think we are seeing a contrast between the character of God and the character of Satan, but also seeing the, the contrast between the character of Job and the character of Satan. Uh, and so uh, I, I like how uh, the author of this points that out. And I, I think personally the author is Job. Uh, I think God allowed him to write it to maybe give him some answers, but that's just my opinion. We don't know who it is technically. 
Yeah, I believe it was Joe, but that, like like you said, right, we don't know for sure. Uh, I just want to give one quick note. I know it's almost time to shut it down, uh, but I want to just give one quick note on hedge. Uh, when you look at the uh, the original meaning of that word hedge in the Hebrew, it, it's, it carries the idea of there was a hedge of thorns that was planted around a vineyard. And the reason why they planted these thorns or these these hedges around the vineyard was was for protection, ultimately, right? To keep out thieves and to keep out wild animals. And so uh, I think I think that hedge or this verse, verse nine gives us, I mean, verse 10 rather gives us uh, assurance as children of God, knowing that we have God's protection. And so I think I think we can look at assurance for verse 10. That's good. Going. In. All right, we're back. We got cut off, but we're going to come back on and close this out. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> I have chapter 2 and verse 6 referenced there because, uh, again, uh, God concedes to uh, Satan uh, to allow him to test uh uh, Job, uh, I underline that phrase below, behold, all that he has in your hand. I put this statement, faith that cannot be tested is faith that cannot be trusted. And I put James one verses one through eight and then first Peter chapter one, three through nine. And I think we have a, a little bit. Now we have obviously the full revelation of the word. So we have uh, passages like James one and verse, uh, the first eight verses of James and then first Peter chapter one, starting in verse three to kind of enlighten us and give us more detail about suffering. But we, we read here, uh, why God allow, or, or because we have those verses, we know why God allows Satan, uh, to do this. Um, and it, it shows us two things. Uh, one, the source of, of struggle is Satan. And we can put uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, when Paul talks about the um, thorn in his flesh, and he calls it uh, the messenger of Satan. So the thorn, he, he credits Satan for that hardship. Job here, we see the hardship that Job endures is at the hands of Satan. Now, he doesn't know that as he goes through. Uh, but, uh, that's where it comes from. It says only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. Uh, and I put just this note, God does not do evil, nor does he let it run uninhibited. Uh, and that's, I, and that's something everyone points out with Job is, is that, uh, God's omniscient and he's omnipotent. And so he put the parameters or the stipulations by which Satan could do what he was going to do to Job. And we have to stress the fact that Satan obeyed. So Satan worked within the parameters that God set because Satan is not omnipotent. God is Satan is not. And so he had to do it. He had no choice. Uh, and so I, I think that's, uh, well, I say he had no choice, but just, just point out that Satan uh, obeyed what God commanded him to do. Uh, and so uh, that shows if you want to show a rank on who is more powerful, uh, Job. Job's probably one of the best books in the Bible that shows us that God is is powerful over Satan, and, and it's not vice versa. Even there, though, those 
even though there are those who would uh, claim the opposite. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good stuff, man. I would I would put by by verse twelve. I have this uh, citation: First Corinthians chapter ten and verse thirteen. Uh, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And there's no doubt that Job was able to bear it. I know we can look into this book. And as you go throughout this book, when you're studying this, it's easy to identify with so many of the emotions that Job felt. Uh, there's some things, obviously, we can't identify with. You know, at least I can't for sure. But nonetheless, we all suffer, man, and we all go through things, and uh, life isn't easy. Uh, and so, this is a good way to help us not only not only strengthen our faith, but say, hey, you know what? I can identify with Job, but I so I also can know that God is there. Yeah, I'm reminded of Second Corinthians chapter one, uh, going through starting in verse three, going through verse six, where it talks about that God is the God of all comfort. And that he comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others in their afflictions. Uh, show me one person that's not familiar with the Bible or that is familiar with the Bible that has not turned to Job for comfort in time of suffering. And you look and you read everything he endured uh, in this book. And then you go to chapter 42, well, starting in verse 38, and God starts to explain to Job that you don't have all the answers. And that's... <clears throat> That's one of the most beautiful set of script or, or sections of scripture for me personally. Uh, starting in verse thirty-eight and going through forty-two, uh, because God essentially now He's chastising Job and the friends uh, for their conversations, but the whole gist of what God is saying is is that I'm the one in control. Uh, you don't have to be in control because I'm the one who's in control. Rely on me because I'm taking care of it. And then you see in chapter 42 that uh, Job makes the sacrifice on behalf of his friends. Then all of a sudden family shows up, they give him gold, and then he's blessed with double of everything that he had, uh, even children. Ten more children are given to him. He receives twice everything that was mentioned in chapter one as far as his uh, possessions of livestock and so forth is doubled in, in chapter 42. Uh, and who hasn't turned to Job during times of struggle to try and, and find that comfort uh, through what he endured. So uh, Job's a great book. Uh, Job was a great person. Uh, you have anything? Yeah, I just want to have two closing remarks uh, quickly. Uh I have these two notes that I had under Satan and I just overlooked them. Uh, you know, Satan among the Arabs is called the busy one. Uh, he's called the busy one. And the reason why I think they call him the busy one is because we can see how, how prevalent sin is in the world. Uh, there's no doubt since sin is running so rampant that, you know, that the devil wouldn't be busy. And then also in the question of in, in verse seven, where he says, from where are you coming? Uh, uh, for where have you come? Uh, it's implied in the question uh, that Satan's actions are selfish, arbitrary, and ba basically have uh, no connection with God. You know what I mean? Where you come is as if, you know, he, like, now you have no dealings with us. You know, he's selfish. He does things that, you know, uh, as if they had no connection with God. And we know because he's he's not one of God's. And so. Oh, that's great. 
That, that's a great point. Yeah, underline that phrase from where have you come uh, and draw a line up to the word uh, also came among them because uh, I think that just further alludes to the fact that he's intruding on this meeting, uh, yeah. for lack of a better term. So very good. Well, that's Job. Hope you enjoyed our study. Like, share, and subscribe. Have a fun. You'll thank you for coming on. Um, and uh, if you enjoyed this, don't worry. Uh, we'll definitely have him back on later. You have anything to say? I just want to say I appreciate the opportunity, man. And God bless to everybody who's listening or uh, maybe watching this. That's great. No better way to close it. Thank you, guys.